Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we do around here. Every podcast. We stop dying every time? We don't die. That's how you keep living. Yep. Let me close the the door. And the, and the truth of it is, there are far, far, far too many Americans dying of drug overdoses. The government does nothing. The recovery industry does nothing. The, the families continue to wring their hands and not listen to anybody. Everybody's still ashamed of being a drug addict. There's a shame, there's a shame in mental health issues. People don't want to admit they have mental health problems. They don't want to admit they, they're insecure. They don't want to admit that they relapse. They don't want it's all, you know what that whole umbrella is called, Chuck? False pride. Ooh. I, I've been saying, here's the thing. Chrissy is a recovering addict too, my wife. And, but she's a different generation, Gen Xer, right? And she still, like, I don't know. She can't imagine that me and Mike used drugs and didn't give a fuck that other people knew we used drugs. The Generation <laughs> X, the younger genera- Gen Xers, they were so secretive and so, so like trying to act like normal people. I was like, why would you try to act like a normal person? Normal people are fucking lame and boring. Yes. Why would you try to act like a normal person? Yeah. Like you wanted the, you know? And so I think there's something about that. We're going backwards. The, the idea that me and Mike were drug addicts, I used to encourage people to take heroin. I thought it was the greatest thing. If I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, Chuck, wouldn't I want to share that with other people? Absolutely. And not only so, that, you want to get more people involved so there's more money. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I mean, money was never, money was not an issue until I was like down and out. Money, money, you know, if you never had money, money then's an issue for the whole time. But if you had money, like, no, I don't I remember did. money, money being an issue, like, cause heroin wasn't that expensive and we get so high off $20 or 40. Remember Fabrice, Mike, and all that white stuff that double B had you, down on the West side. Oh my God. Chuck, you could spend $40 and be high for four days. And they would show up on really fast Italian motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was not Fabrice. Uh, that was uh, Dominique. Dominique. Yeah. Dominique. Man. Wow. And it was this China white, really from France. And I was there when Fabrice got a delivery. They would they would import these fr- these French cigarettes, and they'd cut the bottom of one pack off and put the heroin inside one of the packs, and they were sealed, just like they were being sent a whole carton of cigarettes. Oh, nice. And then he would tear through it and find the one that had it open. Huh. And it was, it was incredible. It was, it was incredible. So money, I, like, I remember, yeah, maybe getting $40 in 1986 was a problem, but not really. I would just, I, I don't remember it being a problem. It, by 93, I'm like sucking dick for crack rocks. Like, uh, for <laughs> sure, it's a problem. It's a problem then. Economics are a, a problem. <laughs> they're, they're a problem oh, in 1993. God. But in 1985, 86, they weren't a problem because it was t- cost so little. 
to get wasted. And like I said, we weren't doing it every day. It wasn't a lifestyle thing, was it, Mike? When did it become a lifestyle thing for you and me, do you think? Uh, I'm saying, man, for me, it was probably 84, 5. And you were spending every dime you had on I was it? Spending, you were I, yeah, I was spending, yeah, I was shooting heroin every day. I never, I never understood weekend warriors. I just said, why the fuck would you want to just get no, high? No, I, I wasn't adhering weekend. to weekends. Like, I know that's mostly like school teachers and stuff like that you could <laughs> score for. No, I, like I knew that the weekend warriors, like Mike Goldsmith, my friend, the lawyer was a weekend warrior. He would party on the weekends, not heroin, but coke and drinking. He was, he was somebody who had fun on the weekends. I understood yeah. people work jobs and then they have fun on the weekends. I understood that. I yeah. didn't work during the week. So I right. did, it didn't matter what day of the week it was to me. I certainly did look forward to Friday because there was going to be more economic stimulus as joe people, biden likes yeah. to say there was going to be more more money moving more around Chuck, people more buying shit. more opportunity to rise our people up um, more american but <laughs> it was more it was more economic <laughs> it was called economic incentive and whether right. it was like i dated a girl from san diego and she was going to come up and she liked coke and she worked a job and she had money and then i could have i had my money her money we were gonna have a fun time for the weekend chuck this is but it wasn't really this i'm a junkie right off the bat like is all i'm saying it was more fun and it was more carefree and it was less i didn't really become a slave to drugs till probably 89 I was 88, 1988. So you're talking about, I was using drugs five years where it was a problem. I certainly couldn't get to school on time all the time, for sure. I, I sometimes had to, I never missed work because that's where I got money. And I can't convince my children of that. I can't convince my clients of that. I always <laughs> went to work. Dude, I was throwing up walking down Hollywood Boulevard to go to the bookstore I worked at. I still went to work because I was going to steal money at work and I was going to, and I got paid once a week to go to work. Work was where money was. So I always, you know, went to this bookstore in 82, 83, 84. By the time Thorny Monster starts in 1986, I'm not working. Then that's what, there's a line in a song called try. I never had a job and I'm glad and I hope I never will. And K.K. Barrett, the great guitar player and drummer of the Screamers and whatever, used to laugh at that. And he goes, Bob, I've known you for, for years. You always had a job. But it just sounded <laughs> good. The mythology, yeah. I, you know, I was writing about Mike Mart, who truly never had a job and hoped he never would. <laughs> but wait a second. Did you just have girlfriends, Mike? I did have girlfriends yeah. that were yes. I mean, that's much better who, off than that's, myself. That's who paid for my stuff and then when i didn't have somebody then it was always uh having to hustle How that much was money really the only money reason i was in a band i really didn't have you know i didn't have any other resource except well i guess i'll play guitar and you know be like the home i had a i got married very early when i was 19 and and my first wife didn't do drugs so she would never she would know Lori patterson she would never buy drugs this was the difference bob you always got yeah you, you but you also later on got girlfriends that did drugs right that's yeah but that was that. after i had become a junkie um but but i never i never had a girlfriend running buddy until 
probably Max. Matt, no, Stacy Granrock, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't really like, know. Like, yeah, you know, like, but I didn't have that junkie Bonnie and Clyde thing when I was using. I ha- usually had girlfriends who had jobs and didn't do heroin. I had two girlfriends for years that never did heroin. And mm-hmm. I, I always tell the story of this great girl, Marin. She was so good to me. And I was such a bad boyfriend. I was like a, I was just such a disappointment, Chuck. When you look back on your life and you see you see all the possibilities and like all the optimism, all the hope, and you just all you deliver is disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I is know. Is that drug addiction? Is that drug addiction? I think it's it's one of the side effects of drug drug addiction. So it's I the- had quit doing heroin and then I had started again. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Chuck, but I (laughs) quit. I quit, I think for like, not, not months and months, but like over a month, like maybe a month and a half. But then I started again. I decided to start again. Of course. uh, 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 So, and uh, she was so happy that she didn't have the smell in her house because this is when I was smoking it. She said, oh my God, like, I can't stand that smell. It smells so bad. And I was like... (laughs) Well, when you're doing, when you're smoking heroin, you can't really smell how bad it smells, right? You're kind of just, you're kind of living in the, uh, you know, you're kind of living in the smoking of it and you're not really concerned about the smell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh So she made this thing. We had this little patio outside and it wasn't closed and it had um, that bamboo shit that you can buy at Home Depot that you Mm -hmm. can staple around. So it was nice. It was like a nice little outdoor area. And she said, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we put a little table and chair outside for you? And you can do your stuff, as it was called, out there. Do your stuff. And I was like, I was like, that's so kind of you. That is so thoughtful. And so that was my little heroin doing part, uh, area, except for Chuck when it was cold or windy. When it's or cold early, or windy or late or you didn't feel <laughs> well, like no, putting pants she on left for or... <laughs> work at eight o'clock. So, so I had free reign from eight o'clock until like five. There was no, oh, rules you were from a eight kept to five. man. You were a kept no, man. No, no, no. I was pulling my own weight. Come on. Stop trying to put me in a box. I was pulling my own weight. <laughs> I want you in a box though, Bob. <laughs> I think I, I think I still had an apartment too, but I just stayed at her house all the time. But anyways, it is true that, that musicians tend to have relationships with people that are more responsible. Is that fair enough to say, Mike? Yes, it I is. would say any person in a relationship with Mike Mart ha- was by virtue of in a relationship with Mike Mart <laughs> was more responsible than Mike Mart. Well, it would be, in, it would be impossible to find somebody less responsible than Mike. I Mart. figured that their lives weren't exciting enough. And I was providing that level of excitement that you just can't get anywhere else when you date a junkie. <laughs> right. And then I, I just had, I don't know. I just didn't have, I appeared to be an alcoholic, which by all intents and purposes, people say is bad. I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that it's bad, but heroin is really bad. You can die from it. Now it's mixed with fentanyl. Now you can for sure die from it. Um, it's very costly. It's very, it drains your motivational system. Alcohol. I would get fucked up at night. Be hung over in the morning. I still was motivated. I still wanted to write good songs. I still wanted mm-hmm. to go to work and get some money. I still wanted to meet girls. I still wanted to do everything. I was just becoming or had crossed an invisible line into alcoholism. But it didn't. I mean, you're talking about 24 years old. It did not 
decimate my life. It right. did not, well, you it still did not bounce change. Back. Yeah. You could, but also the motivational system. Once heroin really set in like an 87, 88, 89, it completely redirected me and made me become a completely different human being. It really did. Mm -hmm. And so when we proselytize and rehab, it's all the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not. Heroin, crack cocaine, methamphetamine, these are really corrosive, destructive, destroyer ability to communicate, look people in the eye. Alcohol did not do. It takes 30 years to do that with alcohol. Not three months, right? Right, but with meth, I it sure motivated motivated me to do a lot of stupid shit. <laughs> Did you ever me, stick a wire? Busy. Did you ever stick a long wire all the way up your penis and all the way through your internal world? Because Mike and I know somebody who did that. No, but no that's, a, that's a challenge. Why somebody would want to do that. <laughs> well, ask our friend, the producer of the Germs and many great punk rock bands. Hmm. But apparently there's some sort of, uh, uh, what's the, what's the thing? Does it, do men have urethras too? I think we do, but it's way yeah. up in there. Okay. So it's well, some sort of stimulation of that. You got to pick, stick a wire oh. up in there. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. No, don't, don't knock it till you try to, <laughs> the people <laughs> no. who have done it, the people who have done it. I know one guy for sure swears by it. Oh, so yeah. don't knock it till you try it. I'll have to YouTube that later. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's I, I don't want to do it wrong. We, we were talking on a prior podcast about how all these kids' veins are shot out. I believe it's because they don't really learn how to shoot dope from a real junkie. They learn it on YouTube. And how well is there? There's no feedback on YouTube. You're just watching and doing, watching and doing. There's no third party saying, hey, you, you pushed all the way through the vein. That's what <laughs> I used to do. So I'd register... <laughs> <laughs> I was so nervous about getting a bubble or whatever it's called. So I would register and then I would push in more because when I was pushing the plunger in, because I didn't want it to pull out and get a, a thing of abs, you know, a thing on my arm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know if it was, it wasn't top Jimmy. He was out of the loop by then. This is like in 90 or 91. Uh, somebody said, Hey, I noticed every time you shoot up and you register, then you push in further as you're pushing the plunger. That's what pushes it through the other side of the vein. And that's why you're getting these abscesses. And I was like, really? YouTube doesn't do that for you when you're <laughs> learning how to shoot up. Yeah. You know, I guess nobody's I observing that. you shooting up and saying, hey, I know you're nervous about it pulling out of your vein and, and, and making the Coke and heroin go, you know, inside your skin and give you a bubble there. But pushing through the uh, really hard like you do pushes it through the vein to the other side and you do it internally in your arm. That's what's yeah. why your arm is numb. And I'd be like, thank <laughs> you so much. I remember the guy telling me that. And I was like, thank you so much for that. That makes total sense. But I'm so paranoid that I'm going to when I'm when I'm, you know, moving it around, I'm going to pull it out of the vein because it's hard enough to get it to squirt up blood. Right. By the way, 1997. Like, like I think 96, Mike, or who has a computer? Look up when uh, that movie uh, Train Spotting came out. Oh, I don't Did know. you ever see? Can you look it up, Mike? I think it's 96 or 97, but me and Alexis Ross, my friend that I got sober with, we went and saw that movie at the New Art in Santa Monica, and he was like 10 months sober. I was like six months sober. 
Oh my God, that movie is triggering. Train spotting. Have you ever seen it, Chuck? No, I, I've heard a lot about it, but it I, has I've, never, syringe, I've never wanted to see it. Well, also Blood In, Blood Out by Alison Anders, the great Alison Anders. It, but it has the, when a syringe bursts blood. Mm-hmm. Oh, when you've been shooting drugs every that day, little, for that little billow years, of red that, that says little, success. <laughs> yeah, success. So, so, uh, so that movie was so triggering. I was my hand, my palms were sweating. I was perspiring so much. I had to go in the lobby and just sit a while to try to forget. And the movie was still playing, and I walked back in, and then it was on to less drug doing and more the consequences of drugs, and I could watch the rest of the movie. But it was so intense watching that movie about drug shooting it was crazy but anyways long story short i believe that that everyone has their own different drug experiences mine was money never was an issue was i rich in the beginning no but it didn't cost that much right it really didn't and yeah and i i you call me a weekend warrior i knew that you can't do heroin more than four days in a row or you'll get strung out so I would do it like two days. I would actually save the heroin, put wow. it in a book in my bookshelf, and then just do coke and drink for like five days. And then, you know, because heroin was a really, you know. <laughs> just night. do coke and drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bob, you know, and I wasn't calling you a weekend warrior. I just, my philosophy on the whole thing was, is the best part about being a junkie is getting high when you're strung out and you're sick. So I just wanted to be strung out and get oh, I, I was the exact five days I, a week. I never wanted to be strung out and sick. And uh, it wasn't until 1987 that I became but strung out But have you ever felt anything better than when you were sick and then you got high? Yes. Shooting meth is the greatest thing ever in history of experiencing. <laughs> oh, look at Mike Mark. Mark. Look at Mike Mark. Are you telling me? That being dope sick and shooting $5, $10 worth of dope and you get $20. well is better than shooting meth? Uh, the, uh, yes. Yeah. You're I, an I idiot. Are you kidding me? Have you ever <laughs> shot meth? Dude, I, I used to shoot so much meth at one time that I would lay on the floor and everything would go gray. Chuck is going to give us the physiological experience of intravenous <laughs> methamphetamine use. From the perspective of a clinician, Chuck, will you explain the brain chemistry <laughs> hey, you know of what? the and intravenous also, use at, of methamphetamine? While you're at it, explain that whole gray thing. Why does it go so white and you can't? I couldn't even see sometimes. I would just go okay, white. Okay, Chuck, Chuck, take it away with the cascade of dopamine and endorphin that is beyond pleasure itself. That methamphetamine, intravenous methamphetamine. Go ahead, Chuck. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, I, 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 I'm wish, not gonna, I wish I could other than, you know, um, it, it's like playing pinball, only everything lights up all at once. When you flood a limbic <laughs> system with that much shit, it rings all the dingers and lights all the lights. And it's a total, uh, almost, at least for me was almost sensory overload. Yes. Yeah, I've done it. It's I've a, it's, done it and felt like I was, I was done. You know what I mean? Like it was just too much happening all at once. And even later when I was smoking it, because if you're smoking it, um, you're not, not you don't have good. a problem. Not as you know? good for the kids I know, at but, home. But, I, but I've done good. it where, <laughs> where it's like, I'll take, I'll take a, a big old hit off the pookie. And then next thing I know, I'm on the floor somewhere and I'm coming too, because it just sensory overload. Yeah. And the, so, the tingle everywhere, the, the hot, the I, I really enjoyed that horrible chemical, but it's, it was rotten. So, so the point I'm trying to make is, is 
really drug addiction is it has a general pattern to it, but it's it's not always the same. Every addict has a different story, right? And what people tend to do is insist that it's one narrative, right? That it's all about shooting toilet water, buying, you know, you're always needing money. That's not what if people started shooting toilet water and always needing money and prostituting themselves for drugs, they would never become drug addicts. If that was your first experience, you would never do it. Like, because your moral compass, then it takes time for it to erode. Right. I never understood why you would open the back of a toilet. If you're in a bathroom, there's a faucet. A faucet, yeah. So I, I, think, I don't. So I think. I, it, I think, think some of that's just junky pride. I think it's, it's just, just like, fake. I think it's I was fake. worse I've than always, you. I was I've worse than it you. Was fake. There's water everywhere. It's there's not, water everywhere, know. and there's always the person that's got to out bottom the next guy. Uh, how much they did, how much they spent, and it's just like you know what, man. Well, that's, this what I what I always equate it to is, and and listen, I'm a like spoiled brat kid from Palm Springs. Like I'm I'm like not your typical junkie kind of uh, background. I don't, I don't come from, you know, multiple parolees and all this kind. I didn't know anything about the criminal justice system other than bad people get arrested. That was about the extent of my criminal, you know, knowledge (laughs) up until, up until I was like 30 years old. Like, yeah, bad people or stupid people go to jail. Like, uh, you know, like that's what I understood. Well, you don't go for being smart. I didn't (laughs) didn't know that there was a multi-generational kind of entrenchment in that mentality, right? So not until I started going to rehab did I realize, like, these people never had a fucking chance to, Mm -hmm. to not go to prison. They were, like, born to go to prison. Before right? we go any farther, I want to address Chuck's thing about shooting up from the toilet. And a lot of times you're in a busy club or a restaurant and you don't have access. You're in a stall. You know, you don't have access to that sink because there's people in there. And you go into the stall to shoot yeah, up. And the only thing in the stall is that toilet water. And, and I guarantee thing, you, you never did it, Mike. I was I there did, every I did second it at the of sound it. check. I did it. I did it all the time. Just and, suck and it was water only, out of the toilet bowl? The first time, and then Smog said, "No, you're supposed to lift up the back of it and get the water out of the fucking thing, not the toilet bowl." <laughs> Why wouldn't you just ask for a glass of water at the bar? I don't know, but I did it at the sound check. <laughs> 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 you know, I was too fucking busy, man. <laughs> you know, the best. I got the best thing. So, me and Anthony and Top Jimmy went to this party. Jimmy said, "Hey, there's this party in the Hollywood Hills." And at the time when the Chili Peppers were becoming kind of famous on the club level and the talk of the town, this before they signed a record deal, Jimmy knew how to exploit that for himself, right? And so did so did Bill Campbell, this other friend of ours. They were like the more mature um, kind of musicians. And so they they would say, you know, they wanted to go to some fancy party in the Hollywood Hills and top jimmy would say yeah you know I, I, you know the chili peppers want to come so that then he could get invited right mm. so me and anthony and top jimmy go to this party <laughs> it was the greatest thing and they laid out lines of coke right and jimmy took a spoon out of his coat and he took the razor blade and he put the coke into the spoon and he asked mm-hmm. for he went and got some water and he made a like sitting at this table in this nice like hollywood hills house 
and he got some water and he just loaded up and shot a big water yeah. inside, inside these people's house. It was see, insane. Was that how long had he how long had he been like that though? Because that's one of those things you start getting sloppy and you stop caring. Well, Jimmy, no, but Jimmy was born that way. So the thing that people don't know about Top Jimmy, um, it's so sad. I mean, it's it's everything that I was just referring to. It's multiple generations mm -hmm. of of prison. His mother ran a bar. She was an alcoholic. Here's an interesting thing. When you hear Top Jimmy's life in Kentucky is where he's from. His mom ran a bar restaurant that had her house was right next door. Right. Okay. And, and when you hear about Bill Clinton's life, it's very similar. So you can either go the Bill Clinton route from the background, the top Jimmy, had, <laughs> or you can go the top Jimmy route. It's up to you. Alcoholic mother who's a bartender and a fucking bad, bad, bad cigarette smoking, whatever. Bad. Years, years later. It, yeah. Years <laughs> later, Jimmy's mom froze to death because she was so drunk when she walked from the bar restaurant to her house. She forgot to turn the heat on and she was alcoholic. Oh. It was later in her life. And then his dad, I don't even want to get into his dad was. Like it was awful. His dad ended up killing himself because he was on trial for a horrible situation. I mean, Top Jimmy never had a chance, but right. except for knowing that it's the same kind of background Bill Clinton grew up in. You know what right. I mean? So, so, yeah, right. so what is that? If we're going to say trauma leads to the life of Top Jimmy or trauma leads to death and destruction and drug addiction, how do you explain Bill Clinton? He grew up the same way. No father, mother, an alcoholic, bartenderess. How do you explain that in rural Arkansas? I, I How do you explain it? You know, that's we we've we've kind of been on that. Where it's like because I felt bad when I when I was in treatment because like everybody else, their family was broken up. They grew up in shitty situations. And I'm like, I don't have an excuse. I just liked being loaded. I liked, I liked all the chemicals. And I, I was just drawn to that. I was drawn to the darker side of things for some reason. But, you know, I notice with, when I do uh, biopsych socials, right, there's questions. Has a family member ever been in prison? Are, your, are your mom and dad divorced? Was there violence in the house? Did you ever see your mom and or stepmom, you know, hit? Okay. So, and there's no, 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 no. There's a lot I of no's. I, and, and there was a lot of no's in my life and, and, and they, they would try to superimpose this bad story. So mm -hmm. once they realized this thing that really didn't bother me, that my sister was my mother and question mark as to whether I was a, a child of incest or not. I remember I asked my mom, my sister, mom, one time, did dad rape you? And am I dad's son? And she slapped my face and said, how could you ever say that about dad? Now you take that for what it's worth. That's either defending the perpetrator, but I really don't believe that that's the case. I believe she was sexually uh, active with her boyfriend. As she told me uh, his name, I should say his name on the air. Do you know that I've never said his name? He has, he's never wanted to meet me, my natural father. He, um, what, what I've been told is my natural father. He has um, children and grandchildren. He lives here in Los Angeles. He knows who I am and what I do. He knows of me and he doesn't want to meet me. And I was fine wow. with that. I'm like, I, 
I get it. He lied to his kids. He lied to his wife. Nobody knows about me. See, I'm a believer that you could overcome that. But, but I believe so many people live in false pride and fear that they don't think they could just, you know what? I was so scared when we first met. I, you know, I've never met this child that I have. I wasn't allowed to. I was a minor. His dad, her, my girlfriend's dad was very powerful and threatened me and my family. That's what my dad did to him from what mm -hmm. I heard. And I just put it behind me. And so, you know, I think he, I think we could have a beautiful experience. I think, and I fantasize about this a lot. I think his kids and his grandkids would love having me for an uncle and a, a half brother. I think they would fucking you love would it. You would be fun. You would be a fun yeah, family Well, at the very have. least, they can get free tickets to Coachella. What the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like why would he not want Why would he not want me to meet him? I'm not. I don't need anything from him. I fucking take care of myself. I'm toilet trained. I don't need anything. I just think that. It would be right. a neat. It would be a neat thing before he dies, or like we go out to coffee or something, and and he just wants not as 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 long as early as seven or eight years ago. He wanted nothing to do with. And that. you know that. And I found you contacted out him. I've got my sister who died of Lou Gehrig's disease, Susan, that Mike knows. She stayed in contact with him, like little but little bits once in a while. My not my sister mom, her younger sister. Yeah, right. and and. uh but it, I, I, it doesn't bother me. It, it never has bothered me. I know what happened. Generally, my sister got pregnant when she was 14. She had me when she was 15. My dad, who was wealthy and, and had three daughters, said, hey, listen, if it's a boy, we'll adopt it because I've always wanted a boy. If it's a girl, it goes up to Catholic charities. I thought I think it was great that I was a boy and I was adopted by him. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't you look have at you it like ever done, done psychotherapy or anything on this? Yes, of course. For eight years, Mike, do you not pay attention? No, I <laughs> don't pay attention a lot. <laughs> I went to the great Dr. Roland Kim. Let me recap for people at home. Okay. It doesn't change your personality. You don't become boring. It's not some big thing but i i was having troubles with codependency right when i was working at map and then working for dr drew initially and i get really frustrated i get depressed i get all this stuff was being affected by either relationships i had or whatever and floyd who's my sponsor at the time in aa i said i need to do an inventory um you know I, I, you know, like I'm angry all the time and I'm fucking just, I, I'm disappointed in people and I think everybody's taking advantage of me and I just, I want to do an inventory and he goes, okay, sure, do it, do an inventory. And so I do it and then we sat down at Starbucks in Silver Lake and I started reading it to him and he goes, yeah, this is an AA stuff. And I was like, excuse me, I helped you get sober. I'm five years sober longer than you. <laughs> Your job is to sit there and listen to me read this and then tell me to go home and pray about it. That's your only fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> he, was not, he was not sticking to the big book of AA that, does, that is absolutely worthless. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> does he actually, work at Universal Studios? He was now? <laughs> trying to help me, apparently. And he said, Bob, 
this, a lot of this stuff is this codependency. You should go to Al-Anon. And I said, listen, you don't tell an alcoholic they need to go to another program. You just sit there and I read this to you. And then you <laughs> tell me I've got false pride or I've got sloth or whatever, the seven deadly sins. Tell me I got them all. I'm going to go home, pray about it. And then I'm a big AA guy. Then you can share so, about it at the and, next meeting. And yes, yes, I can share about it for years, actually. I, I, I just did, did this. Second, I just did this, yeah, two or three second years inventory ago. Yeah, a second inventory uh, about my relationship. <laughs> so I did a relationship inventory in mm-hmm. 1999. <laughs> 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 Sit there at the fucking Costamesa Alano Club and talk about what I did in 1999. So anyway. Beat your chest. Yeah. Uh, so... So he goes, you should go to Al-Anon. And he was so cool. And he's a lovable guy. Like, I don't know if Mike knows him or not. He's a very lovable guy. He moved to the Sierras. But uh, he said, like, listen, I'm not going to listen to this. <laughs> what? And he goes, Bob, you need to go to Al-Anon. Everybody says it. And I said, who's everybody? <laughs> and, and it was, I was trying to control everything and I was trying to control Elijah, my son, and I was button heads with him. I'm button heads with Sponsies. I'm button heads with everybody. And I realized like, yeah, that, that is Al-Anon. So I started going to Al-Anon, hated it, fucking hated it. <laughs> so I told Dr. Drew this and he goes, have you ever thought of going to therapy, real therapy? And I was like, as opposed to what's not real therapy. And he goes, rehab is not real therapy because i you know everybody that goes to rehab as much as me say yeah i fucking did all that i fucking Mm -hmm. got to my core (laughs) issues you know what i mean Uh, i was running with my 24 rehab experiences right (laughs) but i had never really done therapy so so drew said you know if you don't like Al-Anon, which most people who are codependent don't by the way but if you don't maybe get a therapist that specializes in codependency so I thought about it for like a year. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to rush into anything. We don't want to change too wait, quick, too fast. You know, we, we, we want to ease wait, into this. Way to commit, Bob. Way to commit. I, well, you gotta make a. You have to be convinced. You have to be, be convinced your innermost self that you were codependent, and you and you need God to help you. Yeah, or therapist to do I don't blame you. <laughs> so after a breakup of a relationship where I had heard the same thing, I'm controlling, I'm blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, I, I'm, this is, here's the thing, Chuck. I had had relationships <laughs> with these two, two different women who both, one was a, a Northwestern MBA graduate, like graduate of Northwestern University. And one was like a high school dropout from Santa Monica. And they both said the same thing about me uh, four years you, apart <laughs> that I'm controlling and that I'm I'm all over the place and I'm hot headed and all this. They said literally verbatim when they were breaking up with me exactly the same thing. Two completely <laughs> different people. So two people had it wrong <laughs> so far. No, it started to sink in that maybe oh. something was up with me. No. <laughs> yes, I was 41 years old. Uh, wait, wait, when was this? 2007. I was 46 years old. 40, <laughs> 45 years. I was 45 years old. I was 10 years sober, and I was finally starting to accept that maybe part of the problem, certainly not all of it, 
but part of the problem might have something to do with me. <laughs> oh my God. You know, do you realize that you just hit on the bumper sticker that at 10 years, they always go at 10 years, listen for, listen for the pop. That's your head coming out of your ass. And you so, actually had the 10 year experience. So, so, but I'm such a, I'm still not in all the way. So I have good insurance because I work at Los Encinas Hospital in Pasadena. Hey, if you have any mental problems and need to be on a hold, call Los Encinas. Um, that's a commercial for Los Encinas Hospital. Um, oh. So, so uh, I have good insurance. So I, I go on the back of my insurance card, mental health, call this number. I get three referrals, right? At this time, I live in Koreatown at, at near, you know, 6th and Alexandria. Um, and... So I get I, a referral for this woman, right? So I go to this office, but I'm such an elitist asshole. I make an appointment with this woman psychiatrist and, uh, and I'm such an, a psychologist and I'm such an elitist asshole. As I'm waiting in the lobby, I noticed that she went to Cal State Northridge. Oh, and so I left. I like no one that went to Cal State Northridge is going to be able to help me. Oh, Do you understand, Chuck? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wonderful. But wait, that was a you magical... You control that situation. That, that, <laughs> I can't control it. But it was a magical accident Good. happened. Good a magical point. accident happened. So the other person I kept calling and calling, another. it was another, I hate to say it, but I got three names and two were American names and one was a Korean name. <laughs> So American, <laughs> they, were, they were white names. <laughs> I don't want, it was, the, the third name was Dr. Roland Kim, and he was literally walkable from my house on Wilshire Boulevard in the heart of Koreatown, yeah. right? Okay. So I'm trying to go to somebody that, you know, I don't know. So the, 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 <laughs> that you could totally pull the wool over their eyes. <laughs> no, that didn't go to Cal State Northridge. And is I don't know, that can help me. So the second person of my referrals never calls back and never make an appointment. So I, I was starting to like really want to do it out of, I don't know why. So I call this Roland Kim guy and I make an appointment and I, and I go there. Right. And so I'm waiting in the lobby and the red light goes on or whatever. There's no receptionist anymore in psychologist offices. The red light goes on and I walk in and he's got his back to me at his desk. Beautiful offices on Wilshire Boulevard, like really beyond what, you know, H PPO insurance should be paying. I can no, tell. No, no like, Northridge. This, this is, yeah, no Northridge crap. No, no, no. <laughs> so, so he turns around and he goes, Oh, that's what he did. Literally with that kind of an accent or whatever, he went, oh, like, like, I'm just being honest. You can't accuse me of, of whatever you're thinking, Chuck, because I'm being oh, honest. I'm reporting exactly your... what happened. He went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, well, excuse me? <laughs> I said, excuse oh, no. me? And he goes, uh, 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 I never have Caucasian client. He said it literally <laughs> like that. Oh, I swear to God. Are you lost? Are you lost? <laughs> and then I sit down on the couch and I go, so what's going on? And he goes, um, you must be insurance client. And I oh. said, I said, yes. And he, then he looked at his books. He, he didn't talk to me for like three minutes. And then he turned around in his chair and he goes, yes, you're insurance. I do two uh, charity, charity 
things for insurance. So this is like a rich elite oh. Korean psychologist who wants to give back. So he, so oh. he, just, he takes two insurance clients, one of just which lucky was the enough, white guy. <laughs> lucky enough to get you. <laughs> so lucky. Wow. So he is, he changed my life. So he said, I don't speak English that well. Um, so if you want to maybe Wait, get how do you someone say else, <laughs> he said, I don't, I don't, I oh, Bob. <laughs> he, did, he didn't, he said, I, I want you to be able to understand. Like, and I said, no, I can follow. I can follow. And he goes, and all he said was, I'm game. If you're game, that's what oh, he that. said. How cool is that? So nice. here's this weird, arrogant, narcissistic, has been punk rock therapist guy hooks up with this Korean language. He, it uh, turns out he's like the Korean psychologist in America. He's written wow. books. He's the guy that's on TV when something happens in the Korean community. He's one of the greatest therapists. Uh, he's one of the greatest minds I've ever met in my life. Right. He shared with me when the right time to share was. But so after about six months, he'd just sit there and he'd make little notes and he would seem like he wasn't paying attention. And he goes, uh, he said some of the most profound things that anyone's ever said to me. He said, you know, you got a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bad fortune teller. <laughs> I can see you, got, you have you problems. Got a lot of problems. He said this. Like, he, he, he said that. He said that after like six months of me whining for once a week. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Robert, do you want to get better? He said it like, so matter of fact, like, cause I got no time for people that don't want to get better. They said, mm. do you want to get better? And I said, well, why the fuck? Yeah, of course I'm coming here. And he goes, no, no, no. Do you want to get better? Do you, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get better? Oh, Ooh. Nice. wow. So I said, you know, what do you say to a question like that? No, like our baby clients. <laughs> like, I was like, no, folks, yeah, you. of course, of I want course, some of course. Water. And he yeah. goes, it, it, it takes, it takes hard work. And, and I, I'm, I'll do it with you, but I, I can't do it for insurance. This is a guy being totally honest. Like, I don't work for fucking hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I said, I said, okay, what does that mean? And he goes, you come two times a week, you pay for one session. I do the other session on your insurance. Oh, that's two cool. times a week, two hours, two hours a week. Uh, you, he said, you miss, you miss twice. It's, it's off, right? Mm -hmm. You miss twice. It's off. So he told me the rules. You want to get better? I'll help you get better. I'll, I'll, I'll do everything I can to help you get better. But you got to pay 150 bucks. He gave me half off for the session. You can pay 150 bucks cash out of your own pocket. And you miss two times in a row. It's over. Don't call me back. Mm. Like he knows lazy fucking bullshit, right? This mm -hmm. guy, this guy has been around. He went to UCLA, by the way. Um, so so we got into it and it was for years. I had him all through till Elvis was like two years old. So you're talking about six, seven years, tw twice a week for like five. Then we, he, and, and some of the greatest things happened to me. He said uh, about my brother, uh, my sister and brother-in-laws. He said, I had a horrible disastrous thing go down there. And he would always brief you and like 
CD, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, you'd say, okay, you're going down there. You're going to be with them. Don't take the bait. Don't do this. Learn your body, feel your body, feel you get tense. When they say these certain things, he was the greatest. And I used to praise him. I'd say, Roland, you need to be on television. You need to, you're the greatest psychologist I've ever met. And I work with hundreds of them. And he would say, I am just garden variety psychologist. You want to get better when the student or when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It was amazing. Wow. It was the most amazing. I'm getting chills. I just love the guy. Wow, that's um, great. And great so, story. so at a certain point, he says to me about uh, after this disastrous thing at Christmas at my family's, he goes, he goes, I'm going to say something. Don't mean anything against your family. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he goes, he goes. Why do you seek approval and love from people who have proven to you they do not approve of you and they do not love you? Hmm. Wow. Wow. Right? Because they are, and he went on to explain infantile and the, and the stages of, of development. Mm -hmm. He goes, what you are describing is infants. You are describing infants. They are fully grown people, but they are infants. And you are going to them because of your trauma with your heart out to them and they are they are they are not respecting that yeah, so why do you seek love and approval from people who have proven to you they don't love or approve of you and that was the most profound thing i thought about that for months and i saw it in everything that i did i wanted approval from dr Drew. i wanted approval from the public i wanted approval from my sisters i wanted approval from their husbands and very rarely, if ever, did I get it. Mm. And mm -hmm. here were, and here's an interesting thing. He said, you talk about these people. And it was all the friends that we talked about on the show, Anthony and Flea and, and P. Weiss and Mike and all the people in my life that do love me and do approve of me. They may make fun of me or they may like make, but they're there for me. They love me. Yeah. Right. And my family mm -hmm. does not. Wow. I, I know it sounds harsh, but he helped me realize, go with the love, go where people love and approve right. of you. Stop right. trying to get love from these people that just like everything is a disaster and they're always thinking you're disapproving of you. Life is too short. So that was a profound experience. To, and that's why I started to appreciate more and more my friends, distance myself, not completely, but just have better boundaries with my family. I don't expect them to love or approve of me. I'm never, I'm not their cup of tea. I'm not. Yeah. Right. And so, right. so that was the other thing. And then he, um, I'm trying to think, there's so many great moments with him. He told me about his father. He goes, you know why we, we get along so good? And I said, why? He goes, my father, alcohol. Oh, he goes, there's a lot, of, lot of alcoholism in, in Korea. And, uh, and he described childhood memories of his dad drunk. And I was just like, oh, my God, it was intimacy like I've never had with anybody because I respected him so much. And that's why when you have a therapeutic relationship, a therapeutic bond, it's sacred. It's important. And you have to, the therapist's job is to develop that openness and to be able to help and guide and and share and it's such an art form so one day he i i dealt with my sister mom like she had threatened to kill herself if i didn't call her back on christmas eve i think i had told you that and uh, another time anyway she was crazy god rest her soul so he says 
um, you know, you dealt with that so well, Robert, so well. And I felt so to be praised by him. It was just so important. So I said, well, well, thank you. And he goes, you are solidly at, you know, uh, at third stage development, you know, second, third stage. And this, he had referred to the stages of development for years. And mm -hmm. I tried to act like I knew what they were because I didn't want to <laughs> seem dumb. <laughs> so finally, in that moment, I said, Roland, you're talking about second stage, third stage. Like, I, I, I got to admit, I, I, don't, I don't understand what that means. And he goes, oh, just stages of development. You know, he, he demystified it. He yeah. said, you're, you're, you run a hospital. I thought you knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? No, that's and psychology. So, it, so <laughs> it's the developmental stages of becoming a fully realized self. And, mm -hmm. and so there's the infant stage, good, bad, black, white. I talk about it on the show a lot. That's what America is. It's an infant. It likes what it, when it gets its way. It doesn't like when it doesn't get its way. It pouts, it cries, it throws a hissy fit. That's infant stage. Child stage is, is learning your effect and interactivity with the world and that you, can, that you can kind of make the world hear you or this interactivity with, with second stage development that you can try to impose your will. You can see the interrelatability between you and the other. Third stage is, is adult stage, right? Which is autonomous. You can attach, you One, can detach. 100%, 100%. That's, yeah. where, that's really the difference. You can attach and detach. You can attach and detach, and you don't take things personally. If somebody calls me a pepperoni face because I had pimples as a kid, I don't take it personally. I don't get angry. I don't lash out back at them. That's, that's this ability to attach and detach, adulthood. Then there's the fully realized self. And I said, so I'm going back and forth between second stage, third stage, right? And he said, yeah. I said, what stage are you, Roland? And he stopped, and he looked up at the ceiling, and he kept turning his head back and forth, and he goes, he goes, no one is fully realized. He goes, sometimes with my son, I can be second stage. Mostly I live in third stage. Sometimes I'm fully realized. And that's the journey we're all on. Mm -hmm. But, and he said, but the interesting thing about America is nobody knows. They think you get rewarded for acting like an infant, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Nobody knows that you can live in this freedom of detachment and attachment that you don't have to take everything personally you don't that if somebody's yelling at you there there's something wrong with them you yeah. don't have to retaliate right and and in my little things i do it for entertainment purposes and try to try to have this commonality with everyone these little frustrating things that happen in society it's all related to the infantil the infants uh, that america has become there is no adulthood in America. Donald Trump is an infant. He's an infant. The people who follow him are infants. Joe Biden's an infant. People who follow him is in, are infants. The fully realized self is kind of attached and detached. I want what's best. I want to help. I want to have a say about the teachers' union. I want to have a say about our schools. But I can detach and like fuck it, whatever. Right. Do whatever and if you it want. doesn't go the way it I want it to, like, it doesn't destroy I, you. Yeah, I have an opinion. I have things that I think would work better, but I'm but I I know my limitations of influencing it, given the entrenched powers that be and the infant kind of mentality that's rewarded here.
in this society. We are infants and we need to grow the fuck up. And it takes conscious, it takes conscious work and effort to grow up. Right. And that's the challenge for all of us. Now, the interesting thing is you can also just detach and check out. I try not to do that. I try to care, but when things, you know, are haywire, I can, I can, you know, remove myself and just live in my little bubble with my family. But I do keep trying to fight the good fight and to, to get the message out, which is you can grow up. You don't have to stay an infant when you're 65 years old. You don't. You can grow up. I did at 50 years old. Like I was doing dumb shit, like looking at my watch at how long I'd been at my sister's house because I promised Roland I would only be there an hour because we had determined that the longer I stay, the more, the more bad shit can happen. Yeah. Right. So I go there for dinner. Like I always want to know. I, te I text her like, what time are we going to be eating? Right. Not like I get there and then it's an hour until we eat. Right. And mm -hmm. then it's going to be an hour, eating, an hour, of, and an hour of yeah. abuse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That, is that is that second stage? Because I live there a lot when it comes to things. I like to I, I, I will based on things. I know that there's only so much like you talk about detaching. You know, there's only so much detachment in me before I go. You know what? You need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's, and and the, so you're living that what that is, is you're living the adult stage the third stage uh, development, but then it's the fucking environment pushes you back into second right. stage. Right. Right. And that's anytime and I engage with someone who I don't agree. If I engage and escalate a situation, th then I'm, then I'm lost. And that's where I just backed out of that. When everybody started playing that game a few years back, it's just not worth it. Well, it's not fun. Well, yeah, it's, I it's don't hard. enjoy it. it. It's hard. Right. I think I, I got to believe that in the next 10 years, things are going to get better because it's things are awful. Now there's no way you can be walking around with rose colored glasses right now. There is no fucking way you can make a happy tune out of what America is right now. But the hope mm -hmm. is that we can learn from this hatred, learn from this division, learn from this drug death and this fucking nightmare that we're all living in and five-year-olds who have anxiety, that we can get to a better place, somewhere more, more mature, more, more nuanced, more less black and white and more like caring about one another, right? So one of the things about attachment and detachment is attachment is saying, I care about you, I want to support you and whatever. But, you know, if you're going to abuse me, if you're going to lie to me, I'm just going to detach from you. It's not, I'm not mad at you. I understand you're, you're, right. you're lying or you couldn't control yourself or whatever. Um, I, I, I don't like excuses. Like you do have the ability to control yourself. You've just chosen not to. Yeah. Right. And that, well, and that, <laughs> that's cut and dry. I do that with my kids. Like, you know, don't say, you know, Elvis made this thing for me. Um, you know, it's kind of trivial because it's Star Wars, but I say it all the time. Don't use the word try. I don't want to hear that you tried. F fuck that word. Fuck try. I absolutely wrote a song. That's probably our third or fourth most popular song. Yeah. It's called Try. It's about trying, yeah. failing, mm -hmm. but trying. Right. So Elvis uh, did this Lego set for me that's Yoda and it says, do or do not, there is no try. 
It's mm-hmm. the truth. I mean, it, I know it's trivial because it's in Star Wars. People love using the word try as an excuse for not succeeding or not persevering or not, or not, or not having a tenacity enough to, to approach it again differently with more insight. That's there. I avoided the word yeah. try. There's a million right. things you can do other than say, well, I tried. Well, I right. tried. No, my, my first, my first sponsor, because the try was my word. I'll try. I'll try to get there. I'll try to get there. I'll try to do this. I'll try to do that. And he'd go, he, he took my cigarettes. He goes, give me your cigarettes. And he put them on the table and he goes, now try to pick them up. And I, I picked them up and he goes, see, He's you, did it. you need He's to change. You need to take that word out. And can't is won't. Just tell me you won't be there. Not you can't. There you go. And, can't and it was just try. like, can't and try are keywords, and they're keywords in recovery. They are keywords mm-hmm. in life. You know, I, I say it all the time. I was just talking on another podcast about all these kids on Medi-Cal. I was like, dude, last December, I had two kids I was kind of mentoring or whatever. I said, you know, you can go online right now and you can get better insurance. And they're like, and then I'd ask them, did you, did you go? And, I, and they'd say, oh, you know, it takes hours. I go, dude, I didn't say it didn't take hours. We both know it takes hours. <laughs> very frustrating, very bureaucratic nonsense stupidity. But you take an hour and you fill out the thing and then you check the box of the bronze. You want the bronze anthem and you click it mm-hmm. into the computer and you're going to pay $76.72 a month and you're going to have real insurance instead of Medi-Cal and you're going to feel better about yourself having not lived off it's hard to get them you're right and it's hard to get them to see that they're living off the government they feel entitled to live off the government no they think it's money that they're owed when really they're owned by the government the government is making every decision for them and they don't see that that there is no autonomy in that the government is their mommy it is well yeah but anyways so so this one kid says you know, well, I tried. And I said, well, obviously that means you didn't succeed. And, it, and he goes, he stopped in his tracks. This is like last December. And he, he said, say it again. And I said, by virtue that you're telling me you tried, it means you failed. The word try means failed in this situation. And he was like, it does, doesn't it? And I said, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, act like too cool for school or make him feel ashamed. He was having a realization at probably Mm -hmm. 26 years old that you would hope somebody would have at 15, right? For sure. You wish that we had had, 40. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) But, but, um, you know, like he had it and he was like, and then uh, like, a couple months later, he said, you know, I started thinking about that. I do that in everything. And I said, well, now you're catastrophizing and going over the top. And he, he listed like nine things that he, mm-hmm. that he fails at, that he always says he tries at, and that's good enough. And I said, well, he goes, well, how do I stop doing it? And I said, I don't know. I had to, I had to not, not get it out of my vocabulary. I just had to pay attention to when I use it, right? I'm mm-hmm. I, did you, you know, simplest thing, Anthony asked me, if I asked to borrow money from him. I've told this story a bunch of times. And I said, hey, can I borrow $3,000? And he said, borrow or have. Yeah. That's all he said. And it was, huh. you know, 
Yeah, I was using oh, the shit. word borrow. I was using the word borrow, and I, I was using that <laughs> word, but the actual <laughs> word was. <laughs> You mean you didn't say you try to pay him back? You got deep on this one, Bob. I'm yeah, enjoying yeah. this. Yeah. No, it's real fun. And it doesn't take that much. I'm still crazy. I'm still an asshole. I still, you know, love everything and hate everything. And I'm still, I just always, I, you know, I always thought if I get sober, I'm going to be boring. And then I got sober out of necessity because there was no other option left. And it wasn't mm -hmm. boring. Yeah, and I think sure. a lot of people who are sober fear becoming more mature or adult-like or therapy or healing some of the things. I don't even think I'm healed from whatever trauma supposedly <laughs> everybody thinks I have. I think I just gained more insight about myself and how I operate. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like it didn't heal me. I've never thought I was that. I don't know. I just know I'm different. I know, you know I'm different. I've repeated the thing that you said a while back to people. And I go, you know what? Being being sober didn't make me smart. It didn't turn me into a robot. I'm not an AA parrot. I don't just recite cliches. I didn't get boring, but it did give me an opportunity to have a human experience. Right. And Bob Bob Timmons used to talk about that all the time. The, the human experience is, is what it's about. The, the ups, the downs, the in-betweens. And I still trip out on things all the time. I was doing it with my cat the other day, just going, what a strange animal to have in my life. You know, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you this thing. And it's not, it's understand that I'm cool. I, I don't need to brag on myself. This is just a very amazing, touching thing that this guy sent me. And then we're going to um, wrap up. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you. I'm trying to find where it is. Um, no, it's not that. Where am I? Um, this guy. Uh, where is it? Fuck. So I take your time. I can edit this out. But this okay, guy, it's been a great episode, Bob. I gotta find this guy. Who sent me this coolest thing. I hope I didn't delete it. Let's oh wrap. God! It came for. Wait a minute. It came from Nate the Man. I think. Let me just see for a second um bob music is that what it is ah shit anyways it was this really nice thing um from this guy I, oh wait i sent it to somebody else so it's got it here it is you're gonna love this okay this is so cool so this is how this is how like and this is not to brag on me or i'm some great thing this is how sharing your experience strength and hope through many different layers of 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 things whether it's telling my story at an alano club in palm desert or or having the documentary this kid wrote his name is jason i'm not sure if this is actually bob forrester not reading this i just wanted to let you know i had a friend show me bob and the monster when it first came out while i was on on while i was an off the wall heroin addict i saw what you had and wanted it but i wasn't ready to go the length it took to get it i bounced in and out of rehabs for years after that not totally committing to anything but going back out and getting high in september of 2017 i tried to end my life with Dilaudid because i thought i was completely incapable of recovering i was hit with narcan and that started the process of stopping I quit drugs that month, but started drinking alcohol all day, every day. I remember thinking, man, I really got 
my shit together. I haven't used dope in a year, but I was drunk all the time. In May of 2019, I finally quit everything. I just celebrated three years, completely sober on May 31st, and I'm having a kind of crisis. All I know is that when I go to meetings and work with others, I feel better. It's almost the only thing that makes me feel better some days. After quitting drugs in 2017, I ended up getting uh, my girlfriend pregnant, and we had a little girl. Um, that ended up, I ended up getting soul custody in 2019 and got complete when I got completely sober. She turns four next month. I hadn't seen, if I hadn't seen that show, Bob and the Monster, I'm not, I'm not sure any of this would have happened. Wow. Are you hearing this, you guys? Yeah, that's so great. If, if Bob can do it, I can do it. Was my mom. <laughs> 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 okay, Jason, you feel a little superior to me. <laughs> Bob, Bob, uh, he was doing so well up till then. Anyways, yeah, I was really liking this kid until he's like better than me. Whatever. So um, then, uh, uh, thank you for your story and sharing it. And he, right, so I wrote him back, and then he wrote and he sent pictures of the little girl. It's so cool. And I've been, I've been, um, it's just such a cool thing. Like being sober is cool. Trying to figure shit out is cool. It's fun. Like, I don't know. I don't know. The alternative is just going on Facebook and raging against Trump every night. Is that what people do, Chuck? <laughs> or defending <laughs> Biden. There's a lot of there's a lot of defending Biden. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you could be really like living life, not like in some digital world of hate and dis dis. I don't know. I just wish that more people, especially sober AA people, would just stop all that. Love you guys. See you later. Okay. Good man. good Thank one. You, Thank Bob. you, Bob. That was really right, guys. Good. Don't die, Thank anyways. Don't die. Stay Bye -bye. Happy. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> I didn't get out of here. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Get out.